good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, November 15th, 2013. This week, episode 306 comes to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and here with me at the controls is our engineer, Jessica Lawson. Just and my co-host, the Z-Man from Studio C. Hello, Cliff. Hey, Joe. Hello. Day. Good day there, Cliff. All's well here. We're trying. We're experimenting a little with go to training at the same time here today. For cool. those of you that are interested, if you have go to training, uh, Jess can put the ID number up. We're going to have our guest here. Our guest today is our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wild. So today's show is going to be about carbon monoxide and noxious gases. We're going to talk with our uh, technical director, Dr. Wild, about that subject, and we're going to uh, try and do it on go to training at the same time, a little experimentation today. All right, before we get started, though, let's thank our marquee sponsor, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, of course, you can also stream the show straight from our homepage or go to the show link at the top of our homepage. We'll take you to the Talk Shoe site where you can download shows. You can also download older shows or past shows on iTunes. We also have those IACRC, whoa, tongue-tied, ACAC and ABIH continuing education credits. Email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We'll get you out a quiz and get your renewal credits. Last but not least, please visit that IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. prize by out-competing fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. You can either either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. I'm sorry to report there was no correct answer to last week's trivia question. The IQ Trivia Question for Friday, November 15, 2013, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. 
the FDA approves the use of carbon monoxide in edible meat, what does the abbreviation MAP, M-A-P, MAP, stand for? Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Uh, let's make sure we're good here. Okay. We are good to go. Today's guest is our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Dieter is going to talk to us today about carbon monoxide and other noxious gas exposure. Most of our listeners are familiar with Dr. Wow. He's a doctor in occupational and environmental health from the University of Pittsburgh. And in the announcement we sent out today, we said he's one of the few handful of people remaining from the heyday of that program at the Graduate School of Public Health, their industrial hygiene program. Dieter also helps us teach courses on the road and back here in the Pittsburgh area. He's been working with us now for 12 years. He's also been our technical director here for seven years on IAQ Radio. And we always love having Dieter with us. Let's see if we've got some music for Dieter. It's deadly and it could be in your living room. Invisible, odourless and tasteless. Carbon monoxide is a silent killer, a lethal gas that can be produced by, among other things, wrongly installed or badly maintained heaters. And if it doesn't kill you, chronic exposure to carbon monoxide can make you sick with symptoms like the flu. Anna Kenner has the story. The most frightening thing was my heart. My heart felt like it was missing beats, but it was racing so fast. Let's see if we've got Dieter on the line. Yep, we got to unmute him. All right. Yes, Dieter. I am. Yes. Great. Welcome, Dieter. Great to have you here. Let's talk. Okay, you can hear me all right. I know we are trying something new today. We are. We are. And hey, uh, on opening day, not all things go very well. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have some issues here and there. In fact, Jess just reminded me I've got to start recording there. All right, we did it. Okay, so see what I mean? We're, <laughs> we're playing with um, go to training folks at the same time here. At, and if you want to try the training ID is 475-568-972. We've got a PowerPoint that uh, Dr. Wow has given. Actually, the last time you did this, Dieter, I think was probably at Joe Steebrook's summer camp. Um. Uh, definitely there, yes. Not sure if yes, you and uh, yeah, you and I, uh, uh, we had uh, our seminar just uh, two days ago, three days, two days ago, whatever, and uh, we didn't have time for it, which is all right. We can do that here, and this is a good forum for it. Yes. Great. Well, let's let's start a little bit on the carbon monoxide issue, dear. I want to jump right into it. Um, what's the... Coburn Foster Kane equation, and why is that important in your presentation? Uh, well, um, it was well known for thousands of years that carbon monoxide at the wrong concentration is pretty bad for you. I'm sure that people who lived in caves, when they had a fire going and they found a couple of dead people the next morning, Sooner or later, they figured out that they have to have good ventilation. Oh, my, we need good ventilation today also. (laughs) Not because of carbon monoxide, but because of other things. Uh, So it was well known. There were a couple of studies where people measured the uptake of carbon monoxide into the bloodstream. We get to that later. And... um, that was uh, uh, um, a, a kind of difficult to measure. You needed blood samples and so on. 
I had done that 40 years ago. In fact, I wanted to do a couple of things. <laughs> some some uh, wise people advised me not to do that, and I didn't. But anyway, there was uh, Dr. Coburn, and later on Foster came in, and I don't know Kane. Uh, that is, again, that is 50 years ago. And they said, maybe we can model the uptake of carbon monoxide into the human body by taking into account a ton of parameters. And I don't know whether everybody can see the slides which I'm seeing on my computer, and you are uh, 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 publishing that, right? I mean, you're pushing that out, correct? I am. I am, Dieter. Not many uh, I can, I'm on go to training. I can see it. Oh, good. Okay. Great. And uh, anyway, there on top is that equation. And I tell you one thing, that is a nasty equation. <laughs> it looks complicated and as hell. <laughs> I programmed that in the old days, 50 years ago. That sounds... No, 40 years ago, 1970s, I used uh, Fortran and the DOS operating system. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, it, here is the equation. Now, what did Mr. Coburn do? He took into account, and I, that is small print. Where are my reading glasses here? Um, he took into account the partial pressure of carbon monoxide in the air, of course, um, the uh, milliliters of, ox uh, uh, of oxygen in, in the human blood. It, this is made for humans, not mice, guinea pigs, or any of that. Uh, the time of exposure is in there. The diffusivity of the lung for CO, um, that is a parameter. How does uh, carbon monoxide go from the air through the lung into the blood? Um, the, uh, the volume that we are breathe, breathing, uh, the barometric pressure does make a difference. If you get exposed at sea level, that is somewhat different than in Denver, Colorado, but it is not uh, significantly different. Um, now, here comes the one that I really like, and most people don't know. We, you, I know Joe is not a smoker, I know uh, uh, I'm not a smoker. Right now, in our blood is approximately point, between 0.7 and, let's say, 1% of our red blood cells are tied up with carbon monoxide. Now, I didn't smoke this morning. Joe didn't smoke this morning. He was not exposed to carbon monoxide. I was not exposed to carbon monoxide. Where does it come from? Mother Nature. Mother Nature produces this as our metabolism is uh, functioning. There is some carbon monoxide produced during metabolism. Wow! Here goes the theory of low-carbon monoxide exposures. It's garbage. It just isn't there. Well, is okay, that, we got that one out. That's because we are, 
you're saying because we already are, we have low carbon low exposure. In round in round numbers, one percent or a little bit less. It's there. Okay. We get to that later on. Okay. I can tell you how much carbon monoxide has to be in the air to produce one percent of saturation of carboxyhemoglobin, that is the red blood cell, which is tied up with carbon monoxide. We have that later on. Okay. And can you give me the next slide? I, can I can't that. move that. that. Yeah, there we go. Now, here comes another thing. The ventilation rate, the, the rate, the breathing rate of the person who is exposed. If you work hard, you pick up more carbon monoxide in a shorter time than the foreman. There is no, there is no justice in this world. <laughs> than the foreman who is sitting there and watching you. He in the same, at the same concentration, just sitting at rest, takes up less carbon monoxide than a guy who is working hard. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, the ventilation frequency, which is pretty much the same. You and I, as we are sitting here right now, are breathing approximately 15 times a minute. That is approximate. It may be 14, it may be 16, somewhere there. And of course, if you breathe a lot faster, you pick it up. And on the other hand, when you breathe fast, <laughs> you also expel it from the body because you are exhaling carbon monoxide when the, uh, the exposure ceases. So <laughs> here's a joke. So if you see somebody overcome by carbon monoxide poisoning, I mean, at a high concentration, uh, get him up and make him walk in a hurry. <laughs> Good luck. You Good, can't do that. Good luck with that. Huh? Well, uh, is... There are other ways of doing that. You can uh, give him a lot of oxygen. That will really help. So that's what they do when, when someone's brought in with carbon monoxide poisoning. Sure. They're going to immediately give them more oxygen. Oh, that is, I mean, that is the first thing you do. And that is the easy thing to do. Now, if you have if you have a hyperbaric chamber, put him or her in there, close the door, and increase with a lot of oxygen, not too much, that thing may explode, as the three guys who died in the moon, moon uh, capsule. Mm. Not, not too much, but anyway, increase the pressure in the chamber, which in turn will increase the partial pressure of oxygen, which is the driving force after you inhale it from the lung into the blood. Huh. In the old days, in the old days, they had, I think they called that physiological oxygen. 95% uh, oxygen and 5% CO2. Wow, why 5% CO2? And you gave that to a person who was overcome. 90, and it's, it's still not bad to do that. 95% oxygen, 5% CO2. So no nitrogen in the mix. 5%. No, no, not nitrogen. 
oxygen and CO2. But your, your typical air we're breathing now is what, like 78% nitrogen? That comes from a bottle. That is a bottle. That is not ambient air. I understand. I'm just, I'm just, that seems like a... You are absolutely right. In round numbers, there's 88% nitrogen and 20% oxygen in the air. So we're giving them 95% oxygen. That is correct. Wow. All right, what does that do? That increases the partial pressure of oxygen, comma, the driving force from the lung, the dry side, into the blood, hmm. where, the car, uh, where the hemoglobin picks up the oxygen and does its job for which it was intended to carry the oxygen to your brain, to your heart, to your muscles, to your liver, to your kidneys, and all of the other places. Dieter, let me ask you a question on that. Now, is it is it is it bad to get? I mean, what are the negatives of breathing a higher percentage of oxygen content? Are there? Well, there is. It is time dependent. If you want to be really nasty to somebody and kill him or her, put him or her into an environment of 100% oxygen. There are two possibilities here. It's either going to blow up or you die a very, very miserable death after about two weeks. Hmm. It's that, the ultimate oxidizer. That, <laughs> yes, see. you could call it that. That is not good because all the receptors in our uh, 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 lung, and they send all the signals to the brain, they are engineered by Mother Nature to handle 20% oxygen and 80% nitrogen. Plus the other little things, who cares? There's a little bit of water vapor, who cares? Mm -hmm. uh, so if you overwhelm that, the receptors which look at carbon dioxide, that is the main thing, uh, are overwhelmed. They don't know what the heck they are doing anymore because it's not there anymore because there is so much oxygen. So the whole, the whole um, uh, 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 support system in your body is screwed up if you overwhelm that with too much oxygen for a long period of time. There still is nothing wrong, nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's the best thing you can do to give somebody uh, uh, oxygen when he or she is overcome by uh, carbon monoxide uh, inhalation. Yes. Peter, I've got a question. Go ahead. Sure. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm sure that you're going to remember this, and, and I suspect that Joe will, and, and older members of the listening audience are going to remember it, but there was an, an issue with babies, you know, like premature babies, infants, oh, yes. that, that were given pure oxygen, and they ended up going blind because of it. And wh why did that happen? Again, you overwhelmed Mother Nature. I have the brother of a good friend of mine, is technically blind. Okay. He cannot drive a car, but he can walk. I mean, he knows where the middle or the side of the street is. He was a premature baby, and they overwhelmed his whole system with this wonderful, wonderful stuff called O2, oxygen. He is technically blind, 
and he got injured at that time when we didn't know about it. Well, unfortunately, he was a guinea pig. Uh, he is probably by now 45 or 50 years old. So that happened quite some time ago. We don't do that anymore. Right. Everybody I mean, says oxygen is the biggest thing in the world. It has an incredible amount of toxicity associated with it. Right. Yeah. I, I know you cannot bleed, breathe. I mean, it's instantly toxic, uh, I think, under 33 feet. Uh, you know, if you're diving or whatever, oh, it'll, yeah. kill, it'll kill you at about 33 That's feet. That's right. I know you are diving, and right. you got to watch out for that, too. One of my professors, who also taught, taught me about carbon dioxide, uh, David Minard, Dr. Minard, was... You may have heard his name. If not, look it up on the Internet. He was the guy who developed what? Scuba diving. Okay. And he was my professor. In fact, he was the head of the department at the Graduate School of Public Health, uh, Occupational Health Department or whatever it was called then. They changed the name. But Dave Minard and uh, Woody Belding, they developed that and they knew what they were doing. They knew about all the problems. And you are well aware of it that at certain depths, you know, you get uh, nitrogen uh, narcosis. Correct. Yeah, that's generally deeper, like around. You, that, it, it increases with depth, right? So, yes. But around got, 90 that, feet, probably. Yep. You get narcosis, right? Yeah. So those are... Uh, like it. I remember my old biology teacher in Germany said, never, ever screw around with Mother Nature. You will be a loser. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the more, the more I think about it with all uh, 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 genetically uh, 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 treated uh, drugs and food and tomatoes and rice and so on, I said, well, maybe he was right 60 years ago. Right, right. Be careful. Yeah. All right, well, Dieter, let me move to this next oh, sure, slide please do. and see what you've got here. All right. Limited all right. time over here. <laughs> uh, we've got, we got all day. We can do this a couple weeks in a row. Whoop, I hit two in a row. You want this one up? Uh, well, that is, uh, well, either one of them is fine. Okay. Here we have, if we have... Uh, the red blood cell, basically what that says, the red blood cell and carbon monoxide makes carboxyhemoglobin and there is some oxygen left. That goes back and forth. The driving force for oxygen and carbon monoxide and a couple of others, but right now we are talking about that. The driving force is the partial pressure in the lung as you are inhaling, whatever you are inhaling, and the partial pressure in your blood, in this case, of carbon monoxide. If those two are equal, nothing is going to go in. This is another misconception of people. If I am in carbon monoxide for a long time at a concentration which will not kill you, Let's say the old OSHA limit, the old OSHA limit of uh, 50 parts per million. If, yeah, if, 
if I'm in there, Mike, for a long time, I'm going to be dead. Absolutely wrong. You inhale as much carbon monoxide as you can. Now, the partial pressure due to 50 ppm in the air and on the other side in your blood is the same. Now, nothing, nothing more is going to happen. You can't expel, uh, expel anything from your lung, and you can't take up anything uh, uh, anymore. Dieter, don't I, I, maybe I'm wrong here. Isn't this where you used to talk about the East Germans? And the oh, Germans? yeah. Okay. Right. Let's <laughs> that story. That's a great story. That is an interesting topic altogether. How, yeah, let's go one step back. How... Uh, how can you increase your uh, your work capacity? Uh, um, uh, how can that be increased? In other words, is there a way of getting more oxygen into your body, not by breathing it from a bottle? Is there a way? And the answer is absolutely yes. There are two ways of doing that. And it happened during the last Olympics, by the way. There were a couple of Austrian skiers who trained for, and this is important, about two weeks at very high altitude. Now, what is, what is Mother Nature doing here right now? The partial pressure of oxygen in higher altitudes is lower. Mother Nature sees this. She is incredibly smart. She sees this, and I said, oh, my, this guy really needs a little bit more, and Mother Nature will, in a normal, healthy body, produce more red blood cells. Wow, isn't that something? Isn't that beautiful? Sure, if you wanted to go long distance or be able to work out long Oh, that's, yes, that's and idea, that, right? has been, okay. that has been done many years ago. Vladi Viren, I think he was a Swedish long distance runner. He was, at the time, the, the first one that I know of, probably others did it too, at the time, completely legal, did blood packing. What did he do? He didn't go into high altitudes. He did, they didn't have that. There is an easier way of doing it. You take out a pint of blood, put it in the refrigerator, and a day or two before you are running 5,000, 10,000 uh, meters or a marathon, what do you do with the blood? You put it back into your body. Uh, <laughs> Uh, completely, if you don't see the hole where they put it in, obviously it's your own blood. Nobody will ever be able to detect that mm -hmm. because it's your blood. But, and you got to watch this, but you have now approximately 7% more red blood cells than before, and that is a good number. If you put in too much your blood gets too thick and it doesn't work. Hmm. So 7% is about it that will have the beneficial effect 
for a long distance runner. Vladi Viren did that. There is no, he is the first one to admit it, but a physiologist worked on him and that did work for him. Now, here comes the other thing. If I give myself right now, and Cliff, and you, and Jesse, 7% more of red blood cells, are we going to go up and be a Hercules and we go in the ring with Mike Tyson? No. You will not even notice it. You don't feel stronger. You don't feel better. You, yeah, absolutely not. Comma, however, if you run against the top-notch runners in the world, like at the Olympics or the World Championship, there a minute and a few seconds over 5,000 or 10,000 meter decides between a gold, silver, or bronze, or no medal. Right. Now, what did the East Germans do, Dieter? Well, they tried two things. They tried, you can, at sea level, you can simulate high altitude. How do you do that? The chain. Well, yes. <laughs> it's called a very airtight building. Yes, that's exactly what they did. And they put this under negative pressure to simulate high, uh, uh, high altitude exposure. There are a couple of things with it. It's difficult to uh, open and close the doors and windows and a bunch of other things to get ventilated. I mean, these are top-notch athletes right. whom you try to get ready. So they're not little old ladies uh, or men sitting over there. So that was difficult. And then somebody had another brilliant idea. Well, I hope everybody has the answer right now. What did they do after they abandoned the, 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 the low pressure, high altitude simulator building? I'm thinking give them some more oxygen. Nope. Carbon How about a little bit of carbon monoxide? Carbon monoxide, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> now you can open the doors and windows. Uh, you better have a damn good carbon monoxide monitor in that building. <laughs> Otherwise, your Olympic team is dead. So they gave them a little more carbon monoxide. Correct. At about, at about 50 ppm. That, in turn, remember when I said 7% more red, uh, uh, more red blood okay. cells? Okay, gotcha. Yep, yep. At about 50 ppm, you don't even know you're being exposed to it, uh, at, which was, by the way, the threshold limit value or the permissible exposure limit under OSHA for many, many, many years. Hmm. 50 ppm. That will produce, and again, in about two weeks, 7% more red blood cells in your body. The body thinks that you are at high altitude, which it is normally doing for a lot of Mexicans who are at high altitude and people in uh, Chile who live in the Andes uh, mountains and all of that. Yes. Hmm. 
So oh, now, it's wonderful. I mean, that is applied physiology. I love it. When I learned that, I said, wow, somebody was thinking here. So you do this two weeks before the event, I guess. It takes about two weeks. Nice. If you are an athlete and you are training, if you are a runner, you have uh, an oval there and you can run, you can do that a little bit faster. If you, like I, when I'm at high altitudes, I sit at the bar and drink a beer, in my case, it will take about two weeks or so. <laughs> uh, Dieter. All right, I've got another graphic up here, Dieter. Uh, yeah, Take this, is, this. this is this oh, is one of those beautiful, beautiful pic pictures from uh, Frank Netter. This is the bottom end, the working end, the real area why we have a lung. Now we all know we are inhaling air, and it goes down our uh, 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 windpipe the trachea and then in the major bronchi and when you have <coughs> bronchitis uh, uh, that is where there is an inflammation anyway here we are looking at the very end of the lung that is why we have a lung a whale has a lung an elephant has a lung a guinea pig and a mouse and a rat has a lung all our mammals have the same uh, 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 basically the same thing. What we are seeing over here, we are at the bottom end, we are seeing a bunch of alveoli, and we see uh, uh, blood coming towards the alveoli. The one in blue is the one that needs oxygen. Then from there, through the capillary bed, which runs around all these alveoli, it picks up the oxygen and bang, it is now the red blood cell is loaded with oxygen, exactly what Mother Nature wanted it to do, and it is pumped by the heart to your brain, uh, that is the first place where it is going, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. The boss is up over there in the brain that controls everything underneath, the first place it goes is to the brain and then to the heart. Both of them make physiologically a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now, carbon monoxide, let's say that gets into your alveoli, that also crosses over here, and that would get The carried. same way. The yes, same it does. Okay. Here comes a nasty problem. The red blood cell, this is where Mother Nature screwed up. Or many, 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 many years ago didn't know about carbon monoxide because we didn't, yeah, we hadn't invented fire yet. Okay. And um, so, uh, yes, um, carbon monoxide will go across that just like before, uh, like oxygen does. One big problem, the red blood cell, for whatever reason, it is a chemical reaction. The red blood cell loves carbon monoxide a lot more than oxygen. Uh, the factor is something like 200 times more. In fact, it is in the Coburn uh, equation we had that slide up before. 
I think Mr. Dr. Coburn says something like 240 times uh, 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 more sensitive to carbon monoxide. I see. All right, Dieter, we've got to stop for a minute and thank our sponsors. Let oh, sure, a, uh, that will be fine. Take a sip of a beverage there, and uh, you know, get your get your throat back to back to refreshed. Um, I shall do this. I have some distilled water over here to drink. <laughs> Sounds good, Dieter. All right, let's uh, just let's go to our halftime. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview with Dr. Dietrich. Wow, Dieter, I'm going to flip the slide here, and let's take a look at this next one. Tell us what we're looking at here. We gotta get you unmuted. Four. There we go. Oh, sorry, we had you muted, Dieter. First of all, there is another beautiful picture. You see it. Uh, I don't know. Can people see when I move this? No. Yes. You want me to move back? Oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Any anywhere. There you see F Netter, MD. Yep. Right there. Yep. Right there. Thank you. Uh, he made these wonderful, wonderful drawings. He is an MD. Obviously, he was a wonderful artist, too. But uh, uh, I don't know whether he ever practiced medicine. (laughs) But he certainly made some of the most beautiful. There is one of them. He did this one, too, right there? Right, right there. You see that? Yeah, nice. Very nice. Frank M., Frank Natter, yeah. Okay. He is just unbelievable, that man. And if anybody is interested in the lung and lung cancer and uh, and uh, uh, x-rays and so on, <clears throat> this comes from SIBA, SIBA Publication Volume 7 is the lung. So there must be six, at least six before, uh, uh, and Frank Netter, uh, 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 drew them all. I mean, he's, I, I, it's unbelievable. I would, he is, he's one of the people with whom I would like to sit down and have breakfast. Anyway, <laughs> here we see on the left-hand side where the blue blood is coming towards the lung. In the middle, the round thing here, the round thing over here, this is where the alveoli. yes, there you are. Okay. This is, we are at the bottom end of the lung. The spent blood, which needs now oxygen, the heart pumps it down there, hopefully. If you have a heart attack, you are dead because this process doesn't work anymore. There comes the partial pressure of oxygen 
at 40 millimeters of mercury. In the alveoli, guess what? It's 100, and it, the red blood cell loves oxygen. That's what it was supposed to do. And it comes out at just about 100 millimeters of mercury. In other words, right there you see it is fully oxygenated. That brings up another interesting question. If you have a well-trained athlete, one of those guys who is 20, 22, or 23, or they're about years old, in top-notch shape, no injured lung, any, yeah, everything is working perfectly. Mother Nature does this process we just looked on here with 99% efficiency. 99% efficiency. Sometimes instead of 100 millimeters of mercury, it may be 99, right there. Yes, there you pointed it. So, here's a good question. How much would it help to give this guy to have a bottle of uh, oxygen on the playing field with a mask, how much, how much would it help him to perform better? I'm, I'm going to guess, not very much. <laughs> it's worthless. That's, That's why people don't do it anymore. <laughs> yep. Yep. You're not going to get any more out of it, right? It's just... You go from 99 to 99.9, right. who cares? Right. 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 <laughs> now, if you are a respiratory cripple, and you have emphysema, and you have asbestosis or silicosis or black lung, and uh, that is that is when this is not working that well down there. Well, then you increase the partial pressure of oxygen, which presses triple quotation marks presses more oxygen into the blood cell. Then it will help. I see. Peter, question. Sure. What, would, what would happen if you did the opposite of what common thought would be and, and gave a small amount of carbon monoxide? Would that cause the, uh, would that have a, a positive or negative effect on athletic performance? Well, it would have a negative effect. Why? Because it is only given in seconds. So in other words, the body cannot respond and make more red blood cells to take care of that. Okay. That is the time thing. As I said, uh, you may, you also, you go to high altitudes. You may have heard, you know, you got to get acclimatized and people will tell you that when you go, and I was crawling around in the mountains in Peru, Machu Picchu, uh, at, uh, and, you know, the partial pressure of oxygen up there is a heck of a lot lower than here in Pittsburgh. We are basically at sea level here, a couple of hundred feet, who cares? And um, so uh, it will take some time to uh, acclimatize there, and for normal people, about two weeks. Yes. Okay. And somebody told me, all the people in the high mountains in the Andes, they drink tea. What is the tea made from? I don't know. Give it a guess. Cocaine. 
From the organs. That is part of the metabolism, the biotransformations in our body. Absolutely right. And that has to get out of there. And fortunately, the partial pressure of carbon dioxide at that point in the, lung, uh, in the bloodstream is higher than on the dry side of the lung. Therefore, CO2 gets expelled, and we, you and I, just as we are sitting here right now, everybody is exhaling a ton of CO2. Can you clarify wet side versus dry side? Well, uh, yeah. You want to have the alveoli, the bottom end of the lung. That is where the air, the oxygen comes uh, to. That is where we are. That should be, should be very dry. Otherwise, you are dying, and I talk about that one in a second. The wet side is the capillary uh, bed through which the heart pumps the red blood cells very, very near to the alveolus, just as it is shown here on, on this picture, which also comes from Frank Netter. And then on this one here, you can kind of see that inside those sacs. That's right. There comes the blue, the the used blood. It comes over there. It picks up the oxygen right there, and there it goes to your brain. Yep. Okay. All right, dear. Let's go. Uh, It is absolutely incredible. In fact, I have to make one uh, correction. I said all mammals, birds have basically the same mechanism of transferring oxygen into their bloodstream. The one interesting thing is, and I haven't figured that one out yet, you and I and all humans, and I think most mammals, we have a four-chamber heart. Birds only have a two-chamber heart. And they can fly from Pittsburgh to Mexico without going through the TSA. <laughs> why anyway, why yeah. do they have a two and we have a four? Is that what you're still trying to figure out? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know why. Okay. 
I, I wish, maybe I wish that I, I have atrial fibrillation. Maybe I, maybe if I only had a two-chamber heart, I would be dead. And maybe it's good that I have a four-chamber heart. <laughs> We're happy you do. All right, here you got one here. What's this here, Dieter? It says inhaled high oxygen, ozone, nitrogen, uh, nitrous oxide, I guess, and phosgene. What, what's All that? right. One of my other favorite, favorite, favorite um, uh, subjects. Uh, we talked right now about a chemical asphyxiant. Uh, a, a, you, uh, I can screw up the uptake of oxygen in another way in the human body. How can I do that? I can have you inhale a ton of hydrogen. It, 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 there is no physical reaction to it, but if it's too much, well, you will die. Yeah, you die from suffocation. Hmm. But so that is another. The chemical asphyxiants are those which jump on the blood, and uh, then uh, 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 the blood cannot carry oxygen anymore. Now, there are other ways, quite different, quite different physiologically um, when you inhale uh, uh, chemicals which have a very, very bad effect on uh, the lung and not on the upper respiratory tract, the trachea, the windpipe and the bronchi and so on, but at the bottom. And I talked about that one before. We are here at the very bottom end uh, on this slide, and we saw it before, yeah, at the bottom end of the lung again, the alveolus, that area where oxygen is transported from the dry side to the blood side. Now, if you inhale a couple of very nasty things like nitrogen dioxide, there it is, NO2, Joe is pointing to it, or ozone, ozone, which is used in our profession here on indoor air quality stuff and uh, cleaning uh, people. And there's another one underneath over there under NO2 is phosgene, COCl2. That is phosgene gas. They have absolutely no, they have no effect on the transport of oxygen into the bloodstream. What do they do? They destroy this layer over here. And now, and Cliff asked that question, what is the difference between dry and wet? If the, the wall of the alveolus is injured, now the plasma and the red blood cells from the bloodstream enter through that hole in the alveolus into your lung. If you get a lethal exposure to phosgene gas, which was used in the First World War, if you get exposed to high concentrations, relatively high concentrations of ozone or nitrogen dioxide, at higher concentrations, they will destroy will destroy the alveolus and now 
the blood is entering your lung from the bottom, you may as well think, uh, by the way, a lethal, a lethal concentration of phosgene and or nitrogen dioxide and or ozone is fatal. We have no way, we tried many things. I know of studies, I was part of it, uh, when we exposed animals to high concentrations of phosgene when I worked for the Bayer Chemical Corporation. Uh, we were very much interested in it. Maybe I, I make a, a comment to that. And uh, we tried that. We tried to increase the pressure on the lung to push the wet stuff back to where it belongs. It just doesn't work. You die if you get a lethal dose of ozone, nitrogen dioxide, or phosgene. You will die a miserable death in about five to six hours. Dieter, let me ask you this. Now, a low dose of carbon monoxide isn't going to cause any of this damage, isn't going to hurt somebody. You know, like you say, we're, we have it all the time. What about some of these other things here? What's your thoughts on uh, lower doses of ozone, for instance? Uh, ozone, nitrogen dioxide, and phosgene have nothing to do in your lung. A low concentration of carbon monoxide the body can tolerate, that is fine. Carbon monoxide does not, does not kill the red blood cell. There is a chemical reaction going on. And uh, interestingly, when the red blood cell by accident picks up carbon monoxide, it is happy as it can be. And it goes around and around. And it is bright red, just like a fully oxygenated red blood cell. Hmm. That carboxyhemoglobin looks exactly like it. Here comes one of the nice questions. When somebody died from carbon monoxide poisoning, what does his face look like? A lot of people will say blue. Right. Absolutely wrong. Nice and red, you don't even need makeup in the funeral pa uh, parlor. Hmm. Because the red blood cell, which was screwed up by carbon monoxide, now carboxyhemoglobin, is bright red. So you die and your face looks as though you're fully oxygenated. Now, if you die from, carb, uh, from uh, 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 oxygen deficiency, then you are uh, blue, yes. Okay. And with O3 then, the ozone, I mean, yes. we're, we're all exposed to ozone on a daily basis. I mean, there's ozone in the outdoor air. At very, very, very low concentrations. What are your thoughts on people adding ozone generators to their indoor air to try and improve their indoor air? Uh, have them give me a call. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. It, it, they are sold as, and yes, yes, uh, ozone also kills bacteria and mold spores, no doubt about it. Also your cat and your canary and your plants, no doubt about that. Does it also not break down um, like volatile organic compounds? Does it help to break them down? Uh, yes, it will. It is a, it is a, a wonderful oxidizer, 
and it is it has been used and if you know what you're doing i have no problem with that okay. yeah keep the dogs and cats and the kids certainly the kids out of there when you do that it oxidizes just about everything so if there is a molecule from a smell after a fire after a water intrusion yeah, it's, it, it smells like mold or whatever you want to call it. You put uh, oxygen, uh, oxygen, uh, uh, ozone in there, it will oxidize that beautifully. Yeah, the, the one caution is there's all sorts of background chemicals there, and you're not sure what's what. And well, I, that is I, I, right. You know, I've seen it trigger uh, oh, it, uh, all it, sorts of other reactions. Yeah, in there. It, can, it will oxidize anything it gets a hands on. Okay. All right. Yep. Dear, let's do one more slide. If you, are you ready to move on to the next one? Because we're running out of time. I'm, I'm ready here. No uh, problem. We're not going to make the whole deal here. Oh, here's a good one. All right. But it's kind of sideways. What are we looking uh, at? It here? doesn't matter. Uh, many of our cells in the body are sideways. Okay. But here you see again the alveolus. There's one alveolus and two alveoli. I learned that in Latin. And past it right over here. Right over here, Joe, can you see that? Uh, hang on, let me get you on. There or there or there. I'm with him. There's my pointer. Where, where are you looking I at? I can see his pointer. Oh, you can't? You... I can see it. Oh, okay. Okay. okay well, here is the capillary bed. This is where the red blood cells come, and they want to pick up oxygen from there and there and throw out old, uh, CO2 over there. Here is the cleaning cell. The alveoli are very sensitive. If you smoke or inhale very small particles, they can be deposited in the alveoli. Mother Nature does not like garbage in the alveoli and has made beautifully this crazy looking cell down here. This one here, Dieter, the macrophage. This one down there. Yep, okay. That is a macrophage. Uh, that uh, macrophage comes from Latin. It says uh, a big eater. This guy encapsulates the particles, whatever they may be. And in most instances, it can digest it or get it out of the alveolus. Dear, let me do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that graphic up if you don't mind. That um, we showed the the photo from Brooke Mossman. Uh, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good oh, way to finish yeah, today. This is a, a excellent idea, Joe. Excellent idea because this fits perfectly in here of just about what I was going to say. Great. I'm going to find that real quick and yep. put that up here. Uh, this is from a presentation. We will do this one again, too. I like this go-to-training here and the way it's working out. I think I'm not seeing that. It's at the end. Uh, it's not in here. I... I have it on my laptop, which probably doesn't help us, right? Not at the moment. I could give you the controls, but... No, no, no. Then I, I know I'm going to screw it up. I wonder why I don't have that on this one. Yep. Uh, nope, 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 nope. For a moment, I thought it was there. No, it isn't. Later. I thought it was on here, Jess. Doesn't look like it. Oh, that's because I'm on the F drive. I'm not on the right one. 
removable disk. All right, let's do this. Removable disk. Yeah, that's it. F. I sent you in an email the two pictures, or I sent it to oh. Jess. Well, I'll look at it for a second here, but this is, um, for some reason, it's not on this version. I don't know why, Dieter. That's going to drive me crazy. It's a great graph. We had it the other day. Yeah, I don't know what the heck. And this is the same thumb drive I used the other day, too. No idea what happened to that graphic. Yeah, well, I tried. Um, give it a shot, Dieter. What can uh, I say? Okay. We'll pull it up. Uh, maybe if we find it, that will be fine. Okay. Uh, ask me a couple of other leading questions, you and maybe I forgot something. Well, let's do this. Um, Cliff, anything else you want to, because we're running up at 1 o'clock right here, and I'll, I'll, what we can do is we can, the next time we do this go to training, we can start with that graphic, Dieter. Because we're going to edit this a little bit anyway. Uh, I, right. I see here, and maybe we can, uh, uh, I see here, uh, uh, do you see me pointing at this picture over at that slide here? Yes. Uh, the, the, the one, the drawing, the black and white drawing. The black and white drawing. It was on the left side over here. It, it may be the next one after this. Uh. <clears throat> This one here? Uh, yeah, we go to graphs after that. There's go. five graphs. There you go. Now, uh, uh, and we can, uh, this kind of puts it all together. Okay. Uh, here is an interesting one. Uh, I make, Believe it or not, I made that graph 45 years ago with French curves. In fact, these curves were generated by using the Coburn equation. Okay, okay. And we got now, the bottom. Now, what do we have over here? All right. On the left-hand side, carboxyhemoglobin, right there, exactly where you're showing it. That is the red blood cell, which is tied up with carbon monoxide. Over here, we have the time in hours, and here we have the uptake of the human body, that is the old standard, 75 kilogram person and so on, at rest, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 ppm, all the way up to 100 ppm of exposure, very good Joe, you do it over there, of exposure to carbon monoxide. In the old days, a couple of, certainly 40 years ago, the uh, permissible exposure limit, PEL or TLV, was 50 ppm. Now, let's see, after you, I get to this scale down here in a second. After you get exposed to 50 ppm, what is about... What is about the amount of carboxyhemoglobin in your blood? About 7%, right there. Yep. Yep. Exactly right. About 7%. And that happens pretty quickly, right after about what? Uh... Ah, no, 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 Joe. Okay, okay. <laughs> Here comes the other thing where people who set that limit didn't know what the hell they were doing. 
normal hour is for a normal work hour, American worker, unionized 40 hours a week, healthy, no more old people, no more child labor. Uh, they work about eight hours, right? Right about here. Right there. Okay. Now let's go up to over here. <laughs> well, after eight hours, he is not even uh, anywhere near full saturation. Okay. Okay. Takes about 20 hours. Now, nobody, well, the athletes, the athletes in East Germany, they lived in 50 ppm forever, and then they got 5% more uh, red blood cells, exactly what they wanted. Exactly what they wanted. Hmm. And again, I say it, I said it once, I say it twice. Once a red blood cell is exposed to carbon monoxide, it is happy as can be. It's going to go around. It's not doing its job delivering oxygen. But when it comes back, it, um, uh, it gives off the carbon monoxide, provided the partial pressure in the alveoli is lower than in the bloodstream, and you exhale the carbon monoxide. And the red blood cell is happy again and now loaded with oxygen. So you're not going to kill that. So this is another, I like this one over here also. It shows that if even if you are exposed uh, to 100 uh, ppm for, let's say, an hour, there is virtually nothing happening to you. Yeah, you're way down here, huh? Yeah. yeah, you're somewhere down here. Not much is happening. And again, at 50 ppm, after you come to equilibrium, I can expose you for another thousand hours and nothing. This line is going to go and go and going to go forever and ever. Right, right across here. So on yeah. this graph, we turned off the exposure right there, and that is the elimination. Okay. So if you kept exposing on the 50, it would just kind of go straight across here. You'd stay at that. What, From 70%. now until doomsday. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> People say, oh, you put it on top and top and top and top of it. If that were true, think about it. Every smoker would be dead after two packs of cigarettes. Yeah. yeah they every, every smoker would be dead if you put it on top and top and top and top and top. Nope, it doesn't work that way. Hmm. Once that equilibrium between the dry side, the alveolus, and the bloodstream is the same, there is no more transport from one side to the other. Fascinating stuff, Dieter. I love I it. I tell you one thing. Man, I really love this, and I talked for an hour. I can't believe it. Oh, yeah. It's an hour, and we still have half the slides left, but we can get to those at a later date. Uh, we can always do that later, yes. Yeah, this has been fun. Uh, Cliff, any anything you'd like to finish with for Dieter? No, no. I, I asked mine as I went along, and thank you for answering them. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, Dieter. I enjoyed it, and we're, we're going to have yeah. to do this again. Uh, Joe has listened to me before, and so has uh, Cliff. And it's always, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, I don't have a script in front of me. And 
uh, Joe, Joe asked me always the right question to say, hey, bitch, in, in translation, mean, hey, Dieter, you forgot that one. <laughs> <laughs> and there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. In fact, I appreciate it. There's quite a few here that um, in this, old pr- this other presentation, we're going to have to do this one, Dieter. We're going to have to set up to do this uh, advanced indoor air quality presentation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I gladly do this. And uh, we have more, uh, 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 well, (laughs) we have another minute. Absolutely. Three years ago, a couple of guys in New York, I don't know with uh, with, uh, which uh, university they were affiliated, they got a, a grant to measure carbon monoxide in downtown New York and ask carbon monoxide and ask people whether they had a headache. Now, was that money well spent, or was that a waste of money? Leave that slide on over here. Okay. We lost you. I'm here? Okay, you're back. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, You got the question? Um, No. What was the question? Uh, The question was, somebody in New York got a grant to measure in downtown New York carbon monoxide, they had a fully calibrated, nice carbon monoxide uh, um, meter, and they asked people how they felt and whether they had a headache. Yes, if you get exposed to high concentrations of carbon monoxide, you get a headache. I guarantee you that. That's guaranteed. Okay. And the question was, do you have a headache? The question was, was that money well spent or thrown away money? Sounds thrown away to me, Dieter. Yes, it is. <laughs> Why is the concentration in uh, New York? Well, let's even assume it is something, and I'm on the graph here, like 20 ppm, uh, 20 ppm, which is huge. The national ambient air quality standard is 9 ppm. This one here is so we are right? just somewhere over here. Okay. But let's even say it was in New York, it was higher. Now somebody comes at home, they had a good night's rest, and they come over here, it takes them an hour to get to the office. Ba, 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 ba. There we go. <laughs> there we go. What happened to them? Nothing. No. Nope. Nope. You're down here, somewhere over there. 1%, and you see, I started these graphs from 0.7 because I mentioned it before. It is 0.7 when you wake up in the morning with zero exposure to carbon monoxide. Okay. Your body does that. You automatically have 0.7 in your blood. That's right there. That's where you start. So you, if you're exposed to that, you can't add more to it. Right, right, right. But is, those, are, those are those interesting questions about carbon monoxide. And uh, I finished by saying my grandmother, who was a neat lady, I learned a lot from her, and she loved me like nobody else uh, would ever love me. And uh, she told me about carbon monoxide. The problem is she had absolutely no idea what the hell she was talking about. (laughs) Maybe she is listening right now. I hope so, dear. I hope so. Uh, as I said, she, uh, uh, I was her favorite, favorite boy, and I guess uh, part of the reason why I did come out the way I did is because 
at the right moment, she beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all deserved. No oh. doubt about it in retrospect. All needs straightened out on occasion. Huh? And I still love her. She was a great lady. But anyway, she didn't know anything about carbon monoxide, and we can't hold that one against her. No, but it's good to hear you talk about her, Dieter. All right, well, listen, folks, I think uh, what we're going to do is wrap things up. Cliff, what do you think? Yeah, sounds good. It's great. But if, any, if anybody wants to get in touch with me or Joe, you know how to get in touch with Joe. If somebody needs any of my slides, I make those available to anybody who wants them. Uh, my email is my last name, W-E-Y-E-L, 11 at AOL.com. You got it, Dieter. And as always, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, Joe, it's a pleasure. I had a lot of fun for the last hour and 15 minutes. Great. And uh, we can build on that sometime in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We have a ton of slides left, and we can talk about a couple of other problems that are uh, uh, not problems, interesting things that happen when you're exposed to, in, uh, and, uh, to carbon monoxide and inhale it, yes. Sounds good, Dieter. Well, this is Radio Joe saying thanks to our guest today, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, and, uh, of course, thanks to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Always fun, Joe. It was a good okay, one. Okay, guys. Hey, thank you very much for guiding me through this, and uh, see you next Friday. Thank you, Dieter. Okay. Um, I want to thank my, my engineer at the controls, Jessica Lawson. We pulled it off, Jess, and... Uh, I want to, of course, thank our growing group of loyal listeners out there. Hang in there with us. We're going to make this work beautifully. It will be seamless in not too long. And uh, please come back and join us next Friday for the next episode of IAQ Radio. Uh-huh.